the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. As we do every third hour on Tuesdays, we uh, have uh, Lewis Holman and his uh, dad, Hugh Holman, with us today. Lewis can't be with us, but Hugh Holman is here, which makes up for the weeks when you were in uh, in uh, uh, Kazakhstan and uh, your son was here. Hugh Holman is the former mayor of Tempe. He is an attorney. He is an educator. He is a writer. And he joins us, as I say, every third hour on Tuesday to do uh, politics, culture, and COVID. Uh, before we do that, though, uh, on, on the culture aspect, it was a delight to host you um, at my um, place yesterday. Hugh, I was telling the audience earlier, um, we did a uh, version, our version of uh, Taps Across America, where everyone at 3 p.m. who has the uh, ability or wherewithal to play taps, wherever their 3 p.m. is, East Coast Central here, is um, to gather outside and play taps. And we did that. And uh, it was a lot of fun to have you there uh, for that. And um, a lot of people were just so delighted to meet you. It's it's fun to watch people say, oh, I hear you on the radio. It's a great meeting you, great meeting you. And uh, you had a lot of fans there. So thanks anyway for coming over. Well, thank you, first of all, because you were the one who had the chops to play taps. And uh, uh, while we both, uh, as younger people, played the trumpet, I no longer can. I've <laughs> lost my chops. My father, as you've often mentioned, was a trumpet player. And uh, the last time I'd heard taps played live uh, was when my father played it uh, for my uncle's funeral. Oh, my. And then got to hear you play it uh, yesterday, and it w- brought back great memories and reminds me of the truly uh, selfless people who gave their all in order for the rest of us to have an opportunity to be free. I want to talk to you about uh, Thomas Frank's confession uh, on trusting science and the scientists in just a moment. But let me back into it with a question I was talking about with the audience, if I might. Am I alone? Maybe I am. Uh, Although Bill said he felt it, so maybe we're too alone. Um, In thinking that these holidays of great patriotism or honor of sacrifices in a Memorial Day, sometimes a Veterans Day, but a July 4th, over the last two years, they feel heavier did yesterday feel heavier to you, almost as if um, there's something sadder or more pregnant about it in the sense that it matters more now and at the same time less people care about it? I, I'm just trying to wrap a few sticks into a, into, into a bundle here that well, I, I felt. I think you hit it on the head, and that is it less does— Less American flags? It, fewer, yes. Yeah. It does feel heavier, but I wouldn't say it's because— I observe fewer people honoring it. Uh, it probably hasn't changed very much. It is that it means more. Uh-huh. That And less, too, right? It means more to us and less to a population we wish it didn't mean less to. Uh, maybe that's right. So uh, I'll just sit here on the, on the part where it affects me, and okay. that is to say we've gone through a year in which we easily saw our liberty uh, stripped from us in many, many small and some major ways. Uh, traveling in these United States for uh, a number of months where you had states pitting one against the other and saying your people can't come here, uh, in my view, in violation of the Constitution of the United States. Um, the That heavier sense is 
I guess for me, as I think about it, and people of like mind, you and Bill, for example, we recognize how easily some people gave up that liberty and how many of them still want to die on the sword uh, that they were right, their political perspective was right, and that anybody that would dare uh, challenge the uh, the scientists from their side, their perspective, that uh, argued that masks were necessary, that lockdowns were necessary, that all the other interventions by government were necessary, and will continue to defend that. Uh, it feels a little bit at this stage, as we've watched the second wave of the pandemic peter out to little, um, and continue to try to do the numbers in a way that demonstrates what really went on, that I feel a little bit like somebody trying to explain why the way we left Vietnam was a disaster and that the left beating the drum that Vietnam was not worth fighting um, and have not yet been held account for the deaths of 10 million people in Cambodia. Because they undercut the funding that made us withdraw in the first place. That's correct. As one continues... It's a terribly sad story. Well, 10 million people die... Uh, at the hands of the thugs who were taking over that part of the world. And while I would not sit here and argue that uh, American lives were necessarily uh, appropriate to lose in that battle, the way in which we entered it uh, had valor uh, and good measure to it, and the way we left it was a disaster. And those people who caused that defeat in Vietnam, truly a complete defeat at Vietnam that hamstrung uh, the efforts to try to position uh, a victory are to be held accountable. And they've never been they held never accountable. They never have been. That's a brilliant Ten million know. people. And the, the COVID crisis feels the same way in this, that it really became the Vietnamization of COVID, that the left who insisted that uh, we had to follow their scientists' perspectives um, win the day by merely bludgeoning and belittling people who would challenge their narrative. Was Robert McNamara the Anthony Fauci of the day? I think maybe. I think that's a really great analogy. And the scientists, really. That's correct. And let's get to that, scientists. Um, I think the, the, the last hour, as you were talking really clearly and specifically about what happens if... Now, I don't think we have to assume that the virus escaped from a lab in Wuhan... Uh, to understand that scientists have a political perspective, both left and right. And anybody who wants to argue that you have to follow the scientists and then fails to acknowledge that the scientists they are quoting have a political perspective have to account for the fact that the scientists in Nazi Germany uh, before and during World War II were well-educated, bright people who conducted experiments on children with mustard gas, who took uh, human beings and put them in frigid water to test how long they would survive before dying and succumbing uh, to freezing. Uh, they uh, they exposed children to tuberculosis, uh, all in the name of science, murdering most of them at the end of the day. And why do we think that the scientists that are being quoted now by Anthony Fauci or anyone else um, are independent of that kind of political bias? They're not. They're human beings, and they want to be known as right, and they want to support their political perspective, and failing to critically analyze that is at our own peril. That's right. Quit failing to critically analyze that and what is right and what is wrong. You, you have done in previous times 
the um, biography of a great and respected scientist uh, with accolades and celebrated through the land. And at the end, you revealed the name of that scientist to be Joseph Mengele. Mengele. Um, I was just looking up some research on him. For people that don't know him, um, he was at one point considered uh, not only known as the angel of death in Nazi Germany, but really uh, one of the black sheep of the scientific community in in Nazi Germany. And the research since then has shown um, quite not the case, that a cadre of elite scientists were delighted to work with Mengele. And as this story in The Guardian I'm looking at says, they even attended the Kaiser Wilhelm Institute, whose scientists have been awarded more than 20 Nobel Prizes. Although their personal goal was not essentially to create a super race, they did not object to the scientific freedom Adolf Hitler gave to them to engage in these experiments. That's exactly right, that they were running experiments on human beings. The elite who were running experiments on human beings who were thought less than human. And now we've got scientists treating uh, most of the population of the world as cattle to be managed by them uh, and to be herded into the pens that they believe are the appropriate pens in which we should be kept. And the the reason Memorial Day, the reason Veterans Day last year, the reason 9-11 last year felt so heavy to me is that so many would so easily yield their liberty without questioning. So there's that huge part to this, and it's immensely huge. It's it's so Depressing. big. It's, it's You can't put your arms around what COVID and the fallout or the downwash, that's the word I want, the downwash from COVID did to society. There's, it's, it's hard to account for what it did to human beings, and I don't know that we'll know for a long time, including all kinds of relationships, children, outcomes, you name it. It's going to be something far more immense than the 08. I mean, even on just the financial account, it's going to be Absolutely. bigger. Absolutely. And, and, and to- but, that, but there's another part that makes me wonder about the heaviness, and maybe I'm overstating it, but it's that combined with several years now, three or four, of people um, not just talking about our country and its founding as um, as to be critiqued, but as unlovable. So it's not 1776 anymore. It's some arbitrary date 157 years earlier. It's not that we were born in freedom and equality, but slavery and misery 157 years earlier. It's not that... Um, it's it's not that uh, America uh, is a great country with problems. It's that, in the words of Andrew Cuomo, it was never that great. When the president of the United States speaks about patriotism, the only time he speaks about patriotism, it's in the context of wearing a mask as your patriotic duty. We have downgraded and downmarketed patriotism in this country to a place where it almost seems like a subversive activity to be patriotic. I wonder if there's any merit in that and if you'd weigh in on the other side. I would love it. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. That's one hell of a great voice. Another hell of a great voice is my friend Hugh Hallman, former mayor of Tempe. You wanted to build off that point. Hugh, maybe I'm all wet, but it just seems to me there's been a constant steady drumbeat to at the ground level depreciate Americans' love of America and patriotism 
through things like the 1619 Project, Howard Zinn's curricula, the new CRT curricula. And then there's an air war. I mean, there was an air war, too, where national anthem became a controversial thing. Who would have thought? And the question I pose to society is this. Are we more united since the national anthem became condemned or less? And the answer is less. Significantly. And it is that, you know, anybody who wants to participate in such quaint uh, concepts as patriotic activity, um, uh, saying the Pledge of Allegiance or standing uh, during the national anthem uh, or attending a Memorial Day celebration at which uh, someone would dare to play taps at three o'clock, as you did brilliantly yesterday. Um, we're quaint and really ought to be moved aside because clearly we don't understand that America's original sin of slavery should be viewed as the whole and anything that might be positive about the society has to succumb to the weight of that original sin. It is the equivalent of recognizing that human beings are flawed and therefore uh, we should be disposed of entirely. Maybe that is the plan. It's certainly uh, a piece with the idea that human beings can be disposed of at certain stages in existence, uh, as the left would say. Um, and in that context, we have entirely destroyed the sense of community and that we are not worth uh, upholding or holding up as a model. I still view the United States as a miraculous achievement through flawed men and some women, but mostly men, who put together a constitution after a couple of failed efforts, but recognizing that the individual would be the best person to make decisions for that person's life, and that they could do so as long as they didn't interfere with others' right to do the same. Now, that may be too individualistic for you, Seth. Uh, we may part company a bit in that analysis. But fundamentally— Well, I'll tell you, an awful lot of people are moving closer to that analysis who didn't used to be, though, after the year of masking. I'll tell you that. Uh, exactly. Uh, but uh, the, I think your point about patriotism has having been denigrated to the point that people are embarrassed uh, by uh, in, uh, in participating. The, the kind of uh, contradictions— Point is a good word, by the way. I think there is a sneering— Look of oh, absolutely. But let's go back to the big picture yeah. you, you raised, yeah. that the heaviness yeah. of these celebrations, it's a piece. My distress in the last year and a half is how easily such a large percentage of our population gave up their individual liberty. And so it's really not that uh, those acts are less important to people like you and me and many others, those listening, perhaps, but that so many people in the middle would so easily walk away from yeah. those activities precisely because now it's not popular. That now they'll be uh, humiliated for doing it, and they don't want to be subject to that kind of pressure. Correct. Now, Madison understood that in writing the Constitution. The founders understood that most people just want to be, and I'm going to curse here, Bill, get ready to delete, left the hell alone. Mm. And that in that context, for most people... They just don't want to take on those kinds of fights. They want to spend time with their family and raise them and spend time in their businesses and do their hobbies and other things that they enjoy. And unlike politicos like us, don't see the need to and don't desire to be engaged in those fights on a daily basis. It's easier just to step back. Don't you think in part, whether articulated or not, it was easier to step back because they could rely on a general common sense or 
No. Number of elected or other officials who had their back. I would just say it's the opposite. It's okay. that they we have been blessed by the fact that we had people like Barry Goldwater and Ronald Reagan and uh, William F. Buckley and others who were in the fight to remind us what the stakes were. And there are few of those left. And the social media environment in which we're engaged has no interest in policy pieces. I know this because I've written enough and seen how little traction they get. Uh, The last time I posted on social media was now probably four years ago when I wrote a piece on the topic you raised that no longer could the Star Spangled Banner be played without political controversy. And I tried to put in perspective to the left why it was so outrageous to people generally viewed on the right. And I wrote a piece effectively titled Kneeling on the Koran, that if one did to the left what is being done to the right and kneeling during the Star-Spangled Banner, that they do not understand the outrage that people whose families sacrificed their own lives to give us liberty. And when I wrote that, the response was, oh, no, 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 the Koran is sacred. And the answer is, you just don't get it, do you? I need to see this piece. That's this for, is huge. For people on my side of that issue, the star-spangled banner and the flag that represents this United States has that same level of sacredness to it. And what the heck do they not get? And by the way, by the way. Members of my family died in wars to preserve that. Members of your family did. Right. My uncle served in World War II. My father served in World War II. What does that mean? One of my dearest friends served in Vietnam and came back quite broken from it. And yet they don't want to acknowledge the sacred nature of that. Of which there's a ton to say. First, not foremost, but first, those who interpret the Quran such that they would shout out or take action to chop off someone's head for kneeling on it, which is what they say, cut off the heads of those who desecrate Islam. Those very people, Hebdo or Van Gogh, those very very enemies who attack or would attack America or Americans, prepare to zap me again, Bill, don't give a damn – about what religion you are as an American, they care that you're an American, making all the more poignant your comparison and your analogy. Indeed. And here we sit, feeling heavy hearts over the fact that uh, important celebrations of this country's founding and continuation through loss of lives, certainly Veterans Day and Memorial Day are two great examples of that, um, that those important events have been denigrated because somebody at the New York Times now believes, along with all of their cadre, that 1619 is the defining moment for this country and that that original sin defines us. And I think you best say it, that all saints have pasts and all sinners have futures. There's a lot, yeah. And I am happy to acknowledge that the United States has never been perfect. But that does not mean we should not continue to pursue excellence of this country in the right ways. Or ask the question Daniel Patrick Moynihan once asked. You say this country is not perfect. I agree. But please find me a better one. 602-508-0960. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Hugh Hallman is my guest. Before we go to calls, uh, and you're welcome to join us, 602-508-0960. Just one more follow-up on trusting the scientists. We've gone through the physical or hard scientists. Talking about the political scientists now, we played that excerpt of Ibram Kendi, who's probably the most famous public intellectual now today, pronouncing on issues racial. Um, and he gave a definition that, as I say, uh, no junior faculty would ever allow to be asked of him a second question. The answer was so self-referential and absurd. But you made another point about when he was asked to define racism, the man teaching America about racism, when he was asked to define it, Hugh, your your thought was what about his answer? Well, his answer is racism is effectively whatever he defines it as. And once you have weaponized that, that process, those who want to be the arbiters of what is acceptable then can dictate anything they want. And that's the, that's the environment in which we're in, uh, that uh, a rational person has a hard time now figuring out what words can be used, mm-hmm. what concepts can be discussed, mm-hmm. what it would be viewed as impolite or racist. Mm-hmm. So we had, as an example to bring it back to our COVID problem, any question about whether or not uh, it was possible that the virus had escaped from the Wuhan lab as the uh, it was in the 70s. We had an outbreak of the flu that was an escaped version of the 57 flu virus, um, as an example. And there were other similar kinds of problems that uh, arose. If you just raise that question, you were tagged as a racist because it would be racist to assume that the Chinese would ever be working on something uh, that could be so harmful. And yet those are scientists. And if it is the case, as I think you've discussed, um, that uh, the release of the virus really did come from the Wuhan lab, that turns upside down the entire narrative of trusting the scientists. But that's the point we've made. The scientists of the Nazi regime were horrific human beings, ultimately, and yet they were scientists. So please stop telling me to listen to the scientists, because what you're really saying is listen to the scientists who agree with me and not some objective uh, standard by which we determine what's right and wrong, because science does not have that objective standard, because everyone who touches it has its his or her own human brain with all the biases that we all have. You made an interesting point about the recoiling from attributing the uh, virus to the fault of uh, officials uh, in Chinese industry or government uh, because it was assumed to be racist to blame the Chinese. And uh, I think it um, – I, I don't know if it's sad or laughable. If it's sad or laughable to assume that about fellow Americans, not you, but this underlying liberal assumption about us – that uh, that uh, we, particularly on this side of the political aisle, who have been arguing for Asian American civil rights in the legal courts when it comes to higher education for decades uh, uh, against the left, uh, and we who have been arguing for the uh, national aspirations of the Taiwanese and who supported uh, the Hong Kong uprising against the Chinese and who delighted uh, with the students of Tiananmen, the idea that we would be anti-Chinese is itself a racist notion about us for them assuming something about us. We do not say. Don't you agree? I do. do let's add one more, that now the concept of Palestinian lives yeah. matter coming out of the left in Congress right. ignores the fact that we've had a rash of anti-Semitic activity across this country. And it also 
uh, assumes that anything Palestinian should supersede anything Israeli or Jewish. And the fascinating thing is... It's an interesting point where the default is. Yeah, know? these people are now supporting reg- a regime in the Middle East that uh, is 180 degrees contrary to most of what they believe. Uh, the Palestinian leadership would put to death homosexuals, would uh, keep women in their place, uh, and a whole host of other political decisions that they've made in, the, in view of their... A political philosophy that is completely contrary to the left's philosophy in Congress. So and on. yet yeah. all that matters is Palestinians' lives matter, and those damn Jews in Israel are trying to kill off Palestinians left and right. Or Los Angeles, Miami, and New York. One, someone, someone said the other day that um, Ilan, o, Il, Ilan Omar and Rashida Tlaib can be Ilan Omar and Rashida Tlaib in Israel. Do you know where they can't be Ilan Omar and Rashida Tlaib? Gaza and the West Bank. That's interesting. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. My friends at Trades Unlimited are there for all your roofing needs, and they want to let you know that right now foam roofs are a great, great thing to help insulate your home from extreme Arizona heat and also exterior noise, and most importantly, your house from Water leaks. I know the folks at Trades Unlimited. I've been to their offices and warehouses, Susan and the team. They're just great, great people with a great, great work ethic, which is why they have an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau. Quality and service is what you'll come to know with Trades Unlimited. The hot summer sun is perfect for foam recoats. Protect your roof before the foam beneath the coating gets compromised. Or for any of your roofing needs, call Trades Unlimited at 480-483-1775. Or visit them online at tradesunlimited.com. Steve in Tempe. Hello, Steve. Hello, Seth. Hi. Hi. Is Mayor Hallman still on? Yes, he sir. He is indeed, Steve. How are you doing? And please, what do you got to say? Uh, thanks, Mayor Hallman. Yeah, I just, uh, very interesting discussion between you and Seth. And I have to, I think what I'm getting from what you're saying, and I, I agree completely, is that Right now, the the science community, as it relates to the coronavirus and, and other other uh, issues too, like I'm, I use uh, another example being the the climate change debate. I mean, a lot of these quote unquote scientists, I I have to believe, are putting their ideology in front of the the science and the the education that they have behind them, it, where they got they got their degrees, and I just don't, I just refuse to believe that they actually are thinking that that what they're saying is is factual related to the coronavirus, and and um, and Dr. Fauci is a prime example of that. Um, how that man still has an audience right now with everything that's gone on, what he said, you know, and as it relates to the coronavirus and what we've had to go through with it. Um, I have to believe that when everything is said and done and everything is examined related to what we've gone through this past year and a half, two years, I, I have to believe that uh, the, the the way that we have approached this virus has caused a lot more death and a lot more harm than the virus itself by far. Thank you, Steve. Go ahead. So, Steve, on those points, let me start with the last one. So, 
uh, I have to attribute a lot of this data analysis to my son, Lewis, who is absent today. But he is the one who did uh, a couple of things that make uh, your points. First, in analyzing the actual excess death numbers, that is to say all the expected deaths that we would have gotten uh, this last year and the actual number we got, which was higher than predicted. Uh, the last time we had the same kind of death rate uh, in the United States was 2004. So to avoid the dark old days of 2004, we spent $6 trillion and locked our society down. That's point number one. Point number two, uh, that um, if you take those numbers and understand that when you do the analysis properly on the number of people who likely died actually from COVID-19 resulting from SARS-CoV-2, and don't just assume that every excess death was SARS-CoV-2 COVID, and instead look at the actual deaths attributed to COVID-19 and use protocols that are adopted in Europe as opposed to the protocols in the United States, which overstate deaths, frankly, uh, that you come up with about half of the excess deaths were COVID-19, and the other half were as a result of the response to COVID-19. People whose cancer wasn't diagnosed properly, people who died of heart attack because they didn't go to the hospital because they were so afraid, suicides and all kinds of other resulting deaths. Those are examples of the result of, quote, listening to scientists, unquote. Third example, you said climate change. Lewis did an analysis uh, just a month or so ago using the U.N. climate uh, analysis and their model and uh, concluded how amazing it is that the amount of increase in uh, the global um, uh, temperature that is attributed to the last hundred years of human behavior is actually less than the amount of variance in temperature attributed to the amount of clouds over the earth. And so that we've put all the weight on human activity as opposed to looking at the other elements in the model that explain changes in uh, the temperature of the globe is an example of science being politicized. But I will say, Steve, that not every scientist agree with the left, and it's just who's getting published. And certainly the New York Times does not typically publish scientists who disagree with the narrative that the paper wants to produce. And that's true generally. Uh, and we have that on the right, too, that uh, it is less likely that Fox News is going to promote uh, the leftist view of COVID or climate change than it is folks who agree with the narrative they'd like to produce. So our biggest challenge is pretending that scientists don't have a political perspective and instead claiming, especially loudly from the left, that the scientists that agree with their position are clearly objective. That's just nonsense. But thank you for listening, Steve. We appreciate it. The other thing is, and it's an interesting conversation perhaps for next week, Hugh, is the human attempt to conquer nature. And I, I was thinking about that um, with regard to what you were talking about with clouds. And I was thinking about that with regard to the progressive agenda that thinks it can do so because it believes men can be gods. In his joint session uh, speech to Congress, what will normally be known as a State of the Union, Joe Biden um, said, quote, we will get at the root of the problem of why people are fleeing to our southern border from Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, the violence, the corruption, the gangs, the political instability, hunger, hurricanes and earthquakes. Boy, that's an awfully tall agenda for the president of the United States to solve issues having to do with hurricanes and earthquakes, but they truly do believe we can overcome this stuff. Exactly. And of course, they would attribute the hurricanes to uh, the you burning of fossil fuels, yep. and they would attribute the earthquakes yep. to fracking. Right. 
Uh, and so my object lesson to folks is to take a look at the maps that are uh, in um, Argentina near the southern tip in museums that describe the fact that most of Argentina was covered with ice 10,000 years ago. It must have been human existence and climate change driven by human activity that caused all of the ice in Argentina to dissipate such that almost none of it exists. It must have been human activity that caused the glaciers from the uh, south side of the Tian Shen mountain range separating uh, Kazakhstan from China uh, to have melted uh, as they did over the last 3,000 years and why uh, there's a huge desert in China now uh, because those glaciers disappeared over 3,000 years. Um, it must be human activity. Nicely stated, Mr. Holman. We'll be right back. With us, there were a bunch of calls I so wanted to get to that we didn't get a chance to. Please call tomorrow, all of you. Uh, that uh, didn't get a chance to get on today. I want to take up your calls. I'll close with this. I mentioned it earlier. I got some nice feedback on it. You asked me to do it again. Bernard Devoto was a columnist for Harper's Magazine, a historian, mostly known for his uh, map-making and his expertise on Mark Twain, and was friendly with another American historian named Catherine Drinker-Bowen, who wrote uh, Miracle at Philadelphia, other great classics of American history. She was getting uh, dejected about her craft and wrote to Bernard DeVoto and said, Have I been wasting my time? Should I keep dis trying to discover things American and telling people? And he wrote her back, If the mad, impossible voyage of Columbus or Cartier or LaSalle or Coronado or John Ledyard is not romantic, if the stars did not dance in the sky when the Constitutional Convention met, if Atlantis has any landscape stranger or the other side of the moon any lights or colors or shapes more unearthly than the customary homespun wisdom of Abraham Lincoln or the morning coat of Andrew Jackson, well, I don't know what romance is. Ours is a story mad with the impossible. It is by chaos from a dream. It began as a dream, and it is continued as a dream. Down to the last headline, you will read in your newspaper, the simplest truth you can ever write about our history will be charged and surcharged with romanticism. Close quote. It's beautiful. And that was then. If there's one task for this show, or really, I think my life, it's to reinvigorate and reinstantiate that romanticism again. God bless you all until tomorrow, Dr. Hallman. The rest of you, God bless you. Class dismissed.